Good morning. It's Tuesday, January 10th, and this is Finger Lakes Today, presented by DeSanto Propane. I'm Josh Durso. And I'm Paul Russo. Coming up this hour, we have the latest news in sports, as well as Dr. Dan or Don Levy from Siena College talking about New York's economy. We'll also be joined by Jim Sancropi. We'll talk to us about his recent visit to Nick's Chop House in Canadaigua. First, when you get you squared away with the weather, Josh, how's it looking? More gray, more clouds, more of the same. That's all we've had lately, <laughs> it seems like. So we've got snow showers today. We're going to have a high around 35 degrees. Uh, mostly cloudy tomorrow with a high around 40. Thursday, uh, showers enter the forecast, but will warm up a little bit, high near 45. Uh, Friday, rain, high near 43. It's not going to be a washout on Friday. It's just going to be damp. We're on and off showers throughout the day. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, things quiet back down. Snow showers and cooler 30 on Saturday. And then partly sunny with a high of 32 on Sunday. It literally looks like Sunday might be the first time we see the sun in the next span of six or seven days. Yeah. So prepare for, prepare for, like I said, more more clouds. Good football watching <laughs> weather this weekend, I'd definitely, say. There. Definitely. So, all right, let's take a look at some news. Uh, classrooms on the move. Uh, second grade in Geneva getting relocated. Yes, they are. So we've got a little uh, a swap happening uh, between the north and uh, west schools. Uh, second grade is getting moved. It's the second time that second grade has gotten moved in the last six or so years. Uh, reason being, pretty simple. Um, the total number of students in each grade uh, throughout a district, any district, tends to fluctuate. Right. Uh, and right now, uh, Geneva is dealing with a bit of an issue with uh, having more students in certain components, certain grade levels. Uh, and this is just a move to, to make things work better moving forward. So this is a permanent switch, uh, but one that really isn't brought on by anything more than just needing to shuffle some kids around. So uh, space at both of those schools can be used most efficiently. Oh. Gotcha. Uh, this is actually something I've been kind of following from afar, and uh, good to see that uh, we've picked up here in the past couple of days. Uh, NYSIG and RG&E billing issues. Uh, what's the latest and what's being done? So obviously we've got the state investigation. We had the state Senate report on uh, billing issues that came out a few days ago. That was actually uh, related to issues that we saw last winter. Um, but now there's there has been, for the last several months, a growing contingency of folks who want to see significant change uh, at rg and &E, at NYSEG because of the issue, the billing issues that we've been seeing. Now, what do these billing issues look like? Well, in case you haven't seen any of the reporting, uh, I actually experienced this myself uh, in the last yeah. couple of weeks. So what will happen is you'll go a month or two or three months without getting a bill. And the interesting caveat here is um, my household set up on auto pay. Uh, and instead of just having that auto pay come out every month on the same date, as you right. would imagine it would or should, um, when the bill is missed, meaning when NYSEG fails to issue a bill in a month, the auto pay doesn't get triggered. And then what happens is you have one or two or three bills that just pop up on the same day the following month oh. or when they finally catch up. Um, for NYSEG and RG&E's part, they say, Basically, it's a combination of staffing issues, technical issues, uh, and other, uh, other stuff related to maybe a system that's a little outdated in terms of how they execute billing. If you've ever navigated NYSEG or RG&E's website um, to pay a bill online, it's a nightmare. Yeah. You, you, you will click accounts, you will click make a payment, and there are different payment portals depending on the type of payment you're going to be making and what you're using to make that payment. It's, it's an actual nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, but we've seen some uh, residential customers 
and commercial customers between uh, Central New York and Rochester uh, get billed thousands of dollars, literally thousands of dollars, because NYSEGRA RG&E has, has just stopped or failed to issue bills mm-hmm. over a period of months. And what happens is when it finally catches up, you, customers will log in uh, and they will see multiple bills dated for the exact same date. So in our case, we saw a bill for November and December, both dated for December 14th. And we didn't learn about those bills, nor the fact that our auto pay didn't go uh, until the end of this past month. Now, for NYSEG and RG&E's part, they say, if it happens to you, chill out, relax. <laughs> Nothing is going to happen. Your electricity isn't going to be shut off or anything like that. Um, call them. Their hope is that by the spring, they've hired 120 people. That's, that's the goal. Around 40 of them are expected to be billing folks. So people who are dealing in this, I will say one uh, issue that a lot of uh, a lot of folks have sounded off about on social media is the wait time. Uh, wait times, if you're calling NYSEG or RG&E, upwards of two hours. So a long, long wait. My suggestion is try to pick a downtime. Mm-hmm. Those lines tend to open up around 8 a.m. Uh, the earlier you can get in, the better. Right. Uh, or later in the evening also is a better option for right. calling. Yeah, getting lined and wait. But they, they <laughs> yeah. one one fine, put the cherry on this. This issue isn't going anywhere. This no. story is going to continue being a story because uh, as the state goes through its investigation, the Public Service Commission, there are going to be public hearings held. And a, a lot of folks who have been watching this think what RG&E is doing and NYSEG is doing and hiring more people now is reaction to what they know is coming from the state, which is going to be a... a basically all signs point to failure yeah so all right egg prices skyrocketing any relief Ooh. in sight how bad is it <laughs> um so as you can see from the story that we have uh pulled up on the screen right now if you go back to the beginning of 2022 the price of eggs was about a dollar 80 and that's a dozen eggs right now five dollars five and a half dollars that's common it's insane it's yeah. it's it's one of the more uh, remarkable uh, signs of inflation that we've seen over the last year. And it even rivals what we saw uh, during the pandemic when there were other issues related to uh, shortages, worker shortages, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, you know, what's what's the problem? It's a combination of those issues plus avian flu. Um, at the end of the day, this should start to uh, improve in the next few months. Um, a lot of folks think by like the middle of spring this should more or less be resolved will it get higher i'm not sure i've seen some really interesting stories over the last few days um and even some stuff on social media where folks Mm -hmm. are taking pictures of the eggs that they're seeing in their grocery stores and some rural stores in like the midwest and even like the the northwest um you know prices like seven eight nine ten dollars for a dozen eggs crazy crazy stuff i I was gonna say i got introduced to the egg story actually on tiktok yeah oh and yeah how people, been a ton and how that. people who actually have their own chickens who lay their own eggs are just like we got our weight in gold right now or it's yep. just like absolute craziness <laughs> and uh, another component of that too is uh speaking of tiktok a lot of uh, a lot of videos have been cropping up with a trend uh where folks will literally go into a grocery store and basically uh show the prices of various items <laughs> uh the common items that folks are hearing a lot about in inflation reports you know milk eggs bread the essential kind yeah. of stuff um but yeah it, it's it's interesting 
I, I don't think in the Northeast here, I don't think in like the Finger Lakes or if you're in, around Rochester, Syracuse, Ithaca, Corning, I don't think you're going to see prices go much higher than they are right now. Mm -hmm. So that maybe is a, a bit of uh, good news, yeah, I guess. Positive. So uh, let's shift gears here and talk sports, Paul. Holy cow. Yeah. That national championship game last night. One, I don't think it was a game. Was that a game? It was an event. It was an event. Okay. Nobody will be able to deny that it was, in fact, a scheduled event. It was, it was a scheduled <laughs> event that occurred. And, yeah, what were, uh, what were your takeaways? I know you have some thoughts on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I did not anticipate, I think, just the absolute whooping. I mean, what it was was a whooping by oh, Georgia yeah. on TCU. Yeah. Um, I, 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 look, I, I I'll be the first to tell you I had to eat some, some crow here on Stetson Bennett. Uh, who will be handling our taxes come springtime. But, um, you know, I, look, I've been saying this all year, though. The, the Georgia defense has been borderline historic in nature. Yeah. Um, and for a team that does not really use the transfer portal, those are all four- and five-star recruits on that, on that yeah. side of the ball that um, they only, you know, we, we kind of joke about how certain teams kind of do this, but Georgia's definition of they don't adapt, they reload. Yeah. And that'll certainly be the case moving forward. TCU just looked like they got jumped quick, and they were just lost very quickly in that. TCU was never in it. From, from the start, TCU there was, was about, never I, in it. I'd say about there was a 30-second window when they answered back on that Max Duggan yeah. sneak yeah. Um, that you could make the case. But, I mean, the, the, the stats in a lie. Like stats in Bennett, 304 yards, four touchdowns, and Max Duggan only had – 152 with two interceptions it's not even close it's just not yeah so I think the the interesting the takeaway for me was very early in the game it was clear even if TCU found a way to keep it yeah. close I didn't think it was going to be 65 to 7 no uh kind of blowout but I didn't think TCU would be able to keep up even if they were able to go maybe back and forth with Georgia mm -hmm. for you know a quarter or two. I didn't think they'd be able to keep it up the entire game. There was no way they were going to score 65 points. Right, and the difference being if, if there was going to be a spot where TCU could keep up with Georgia, it's actually in the secondaries on defense, and that just did not, <laughs> did not didn't happen, happen at all. Um, uh, you talk about a lot of blown coverages. We, you saw at least about a handful of them occur last night. Yeah, so I guess I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, obviously, if you're the defense in that scenario and Georgia's just scoring all over you and yeah. you feel like you have no answer, there's probably a little bit of defeat that's set, it, set yeah. in there before uh, really like the third and fourth quarter comes around. But yeah. um, running the score up, there was a little bit of debate about that on social media. I thought it was interesting. A national championship game that, mm -hmm. that ends up 65-7. That, is that the most lopsided it it's is. got to be one of the most. It lopsided. is. It is the most lopsided since, let alone the college football playoff when BCS was implemented right. in the late '90s. Um, I do think it was a, a run up the score thing. I'm not a fan of how it happened. I'm not a fan of the way it happened. It'd be one thing if it was the backups for Georgia primarily doing it, and it was not. Yeah. There is a two sides to this though. Normally, with the team that is down is usually kind of the first to kind of do the mass subs, but to that end. There are certain points along the way where if you're the team winning that you can also do that. And I think Georgia eclipsed that, I'd say, midway through the third, and they just did not do it. 
and look, I know, I know it's probably a thing that people don't want to talk about in a minute, but that's how you get your players if you're Kirby Smart. It's how you get these kids hurt potentially and stuff like right. that. Um, it was kind of surprising, I think. Um, admittedly, even though they go in for sure as the leaders in the clubhouse next year to go ahead and be the first back to back to back champions since Minnesota in 1934 through 36. You're going to come across a team like, look, Alabama's the glaring one, obviously. Alabama's going to be better next year than they were this year. You come across teams like that who they aren't going to let you get all, get away with that. And you're going to come across coaches who maybe are a lot less disciplined than, say, a Nick Saban, where if they have you in control, they aren't going to do that, where they're going to do that to you if they can now. And it's if you're Kirby smart, you better be prepared to, to take it if you can give it. Does college football have a problem either with the way the playoffs are currently structured or with how this turned out? Or is that just where the game – are we just going to say perhaps that that's where the game is? That's where college football is. College football is is, – there isn't a lot of parity, and the density of talent is in the the SEC, and that is what it is. I think the density of talent's been in the SEC for a while now. It has been. Um, look, the structure of the college football playoff after next year, it's going to be different anyway. So I think it might be a little bit of nature of the beast in that sense with it at this point. Um, but the SEC is not overall great outside of the top few teams. Competitive, yeah. But I'm not. if, if you're, say, even TCU, I don't think you sit there and you're worried about playing South Carolina if you're to come across South Carolina. Um, fair. I, it will be interesting. I, I, I certainly, it certainly becomes intriguing here, even more so in a couple of years when USC and UCLA get into the Big Ten officially, yeah, where they kind of officially stack up because I think it's going to be more or less a two horse race between the SEC and the Big Ten moving forward. Two divisions, two yeah. conferences, and that is where we will leave that. <laughs> uh, producer Nate Sharman was Oof. in Buffalo last night for another not-so-thrilling game. The Sabres got absolutely destroyed if you missed that. Yeah, uh, Blanked, 4-0. What was it like sitting there watching, uh, watching that? Uh, sum it up in one word, I would say pathetic. You know, they would say, you know, you're allowed to lose games, of course, in the NHL. It's a long season. But they just they didn't even come out of the locker room, in my, in my thoughts. You know, really, really lousy play, especially in their own zone. They were sloppy with the puck in front of the net, especially. Left some guys open. So uh, they'll try to bounce back. They're home again tonight. They can play the Kraken tonight. So it it can. was their first shutout though on the year. Yep. Being first time shutout them, all year. Right? Yep, correct. So is there any I guess solace in that in a way? Because I mean, you look at some of the better teams in the NHL and they've been shut out you know once or twice already. Even in the Sabers. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just to me, it's more so the the stuff, the way they played. It's just was just sloppy and I mean. Everything that's happened in Buffalo, you could talk about being emotionally drained over the past week just because of all the events that have happened, and you know it, it takes a toll uh, emotionally. So that's part of it. That could be part of it for sure, and that's something that Don Granado, head coach of the Sabres, talked about after the game. So I'll, I'll give them a pass there on that one. Um, just going to see, I need to see more energy out of them tonight on a little bit less sloppy play, of course. And, you know, might there also have just been, maybe they were due. They've been on yeah, what I would what I would say is probably uh, more than a hot streak. Yeah, before point. last night they've won it. won eight of nine. Yeah, so I mean, you know, right. one one game, one shutout. Right. Let's not look too much into it. Yeah, yeah. like I said, just got to play better tonight and and uh, erase that out of your memory. 
All right. And hopefully, Nate, you can also erase that out of your memory, having <laughs> driven two hours yeah, to watch I'm, that. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm, that was my only game I've been to this year. I'm hoping that it wasn't me being in the building. That was the problem. You jinxed them. You jinxed the, you jinxed the Sabres. All right, uh, Paul, let's talk my yeah. Mets. Uh, Carlos Correa. We've got yeah. some mixed reporting, but I just I saw a couple things this morning that yes. lead me to believe that maybe we're going to get an answer by this afternoon. You, you want to talk about a very confusing situation on stuff. So in the middle of the championship game last night, a casual news dump comes on my Twitter feed from <laughs> excuse me from Ken Rosenthal, who says because the Mets and Korea deal is falling apart, all of a sudden the Twins are kind of back in play here and stuff's progressing there only for overnight. And this will resonate with a certain age group. Carlos Baerga from the heavens says that the deal with the Mets is going to be signed, sealed, and delivered once Union approves of it today. It's interesting. Baerga um, was right on about the initial Giants deal. He's been spot on about a couple different deals throughout this offseason. Uh, but obviously, you know, Ken Rosenthal is one of the more respected writers in the baseball sphere. So it's been an interesting saga of, like like I said, about Korea and of itself. And last night into this morning has kind of been the perfect little encapsulation of it. So I think as a Mets fan for you, Josh, how are you kind of feeling with all these updates? Kind of been in limbo really the past week and a half or so on it. It feels like it's been a month and I'm numb. (laughs) I'm numb. It doesn't – well, so – you know, whether we get him or not, I know the terms of the deal clearly are going to be a lot different mm-hmm. than they were initially, uh, you know, proposed. Right. So, you know, my approach with that in general, and we've had this conversation off air, you know, I think these it, these 10, 11, even eight year deals in baseball are a complete joke when the players in their upper 20s yeah. or around 30 or, right. you know, low 30s. They haven't got eight or 10 or in Correa's case, you know, 10 or 11 years, uh, more productive, more productive years ahead of them. Right. So, you know, realistically, what do you, what do you want out of a Correa? Well, I'm a Met fan. I want like a good two to three and a half to four years out of him. That's it. After that, I don't really care. And, you know, I, I understand baseball is the way it is. And if it means a player like Correa can get a longer term deal in exchange for that, you know, high productivity mm-hmm. over the next two to four years. Great, whatever. I don't really have a problem with it. But at this point, I think everybody will be happier with mm-hmm. the terms and conditions if he is, in fact, a Met this afternoon. My prediction is today by 2.30 p.m., he will be a Met mm-hmm. officially. 2.30 p.m. Eastern Eastern Standard. I, That's I, my prediction. I agree with you, at least on we'll have the answer this afternoon. I do lean Met here, obviously, because there's already... It's just easier. Well, it's easier already, for all parties involved. Right, and there's already this the hurdles they have to kind of jump because of what Steve Cohen's kind of said anyway. But to, to kind of, I'd say, back that up in baseball, especially where there's smoke, there is fire for the most part in terms of all of this. Well, and, and the other part of it, too, is, is you know, if he is going to go to the Twins, mm-hmm. aren't we going to be right back to square one? He'll have to go through another physical, right. fail Correct. another physical, Correct. He'll yeah. come back, and we'll literally just be having this conversation right. three weeks from now. Right. So, yeah, I, you know, it just seems like mm-hmm. the Mets are the easy option for Correa's camp and for, frankly, the whole MLB, who probably just wants to put this Correa thing And, back. you know, to be fair, <laughs> if you want to look at it from the actual play perspective, he will be at a 
physically less taxing position at third with the Mets. Yeah. In theory. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, also a note of the Mets, uh, Auburn native Tim LaCastro signed a minor league deal with them yesterday. So It's interesting. Um, invite to spring training, obviously, was with the Yankees, better part of really the last year and a half. Yep. Uh, but the interesting caveat there is since it's a minor league deal, we might get a lot of time in Syracuse potentially. Which would be good for the Auburn native. Right. Exactly. For sure. Uh, high school uh, basketball, you and uh, Nate are going to be out and about tonight. Where are yeah. you going? Yeah, so we'll be over in Waterloo, Can Eagle Waterloo boys, and obviously now it's a league non-league matchup, but uh, for some of us out here, we recognize this as an Old Finger Lakes East matchup way back in the day. Yep. Uh, they've already played once this year. It's going to be a really interesting game. Uh, first matchup this year came back early December, and Can Eagle won on a tip-in, not quite buzzer beater with 2.3 seconds to go left in regulation. So I'm really looking forward to this game tonight. Um, it's a good, I think, test once again for Waterloo, who have been really one of the surprise teams this year. Candagua, this is a case of, you know, you're playing predominantly A schools. You are an A school. Uh, this should be a quote-unquote easily handled game for you. What do you got here? You know, so uh, this is a good – we talk about a little bit like on Upstate Hoops, right, good barometer gauges, like where teams kind of sit and everything like that. This is quite – this is one tonight where I, I think it's a little bit of a toss-up. I think we'll go home edge though to Waterloo, a little bit of revenge and even up the season series. But um, I'm really looking forward to it tonight. Yeah. Any other uh, any other high school games yeah. you're watching for? An interesting one tonight on the girls' side. There's only really a handful on each side, but one tonight that has my attention on the girls' side is Aquinas at Minders. Uh, Aquinas has kind of been running rough shot through B1, and Minders in B2 has certainly been pretty good all year. I know they're coming off a tough loss uh, against the Waterloo girls um, Saturday, so they look to rebound against them. And look, Waterloo girls are B1, Aquinas is B1. I think this is another good Barometer gauge for really both teams in that game to kind of see where we're at and what do we have for the second half of the year. All right. Thank you, Paul. On the other side of the break, we're going to hear from Dr. Don Levy from Siena College about the economic forecast for 2023. Stay right there. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. Canandaigua Dentistry offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff. A proud supporter of local veteran organizations, Canandaigua Dentistry offers veteran and senior discounts, as well as an in-house dental membership program for people without insurance. Dr. Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry is committed to providing you with personal, professional care. Whether you are searching for a family dentist or a cosmetic dentist, the Canandaigua Dentistry team promises to go the extra smile for you. Stop by the office located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or call 585-394-5230 to talk with the team today. Visit www.canandaguadentistry.com to learn more and find them on Facebook and Instagram, too. Oh, 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 o
1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. That's 80 years that DeSanto Propane has been servicing the community. DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, which is why everyone recommends DeSanto Propane. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years, DeSanto Propane has been heating the community with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com or call toll-free 1-800-752-4574 and like DeSanto Propane on Facebook for more tips and info today. DeSanto is celebrating 80 years and there's never been a better time to switch to propane to fuel your entire house. Oh, 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 DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Cicino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Cicino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday, Miris, and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisricky.com. All right, welcome back to Finger Lakes Today. Last week, Siena College released its quarterly report on consumer sentiment. Broadly speaking, it's a way to determine how people feel about the economy, how confident they are in it. Yesterday, I caught up with Dr. Don Levy, who explained what the most important takeaways were from it. Check it out. Obviously, we're talking consumer sentiment. Um, give us kind of the 101 overview. What is it and what is it measuring? Sure. Um at Siena here, we've been measuring the consumer sentiment of New Yorkers since 1999. So it goes back quite a ways. It's based on a survey that was uh, developed and continues to be done nationally by the University of Michigan. Uh, and consumer sentiment, the way uh, it's done within the survey, uh, constructs an index of overall sentiment as well as a look at how, um, in this case, New Yorkers feel about their position in the economy today, as well as uh, when they look to the future. So we give both an overall assessment as well as a current and future. Um, you know, really um, what uh, the, the, the index also is referred to as a willingness to spend index. So it measures the degree to which people feel sufficiently confident in their place within the economy to go out and, uh, and make purchases that will, would in turn, of course, spur the economy. And as we know, uh, the economy continues to rest at about the 70% of our economic activity is based on consumer spending. So this is a crucial indicator of um, how are consumers feeling today? Are they going to go out there and buy uh, major items today? And what about the future? Do they, look, uh, do they look a year out, five years out, and feel confident? Um, the index, as I said, it goes back a number of years. Uh, and so we egghead uh, statisticians have had to uh, do a few um, manipulative uh, corrections over the years. So at this point, the magic number is approximately 75. So when you hear the index of consumer sentiment, uh, numbers at 75 indicate that optimism and pessimism are about balanced. Uh, numbers under 75 
reflect some concern on the part of consumers, whether it be about the current situation or the future. Numbers well above 75 uh, start to indicate that consumers feel pretty good and, uh, and that economic activity is likely to, um, to pick up. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the overview. We also, in addition to uh, the index, we asked people specifically about their intent to purchase five different major consumer goods. Uh, and we also asked about uh, whether uh, you know, gasoline prices and or food prices are having an, an impact on their budget. And then of course we track all these numbers over time to take a look at um, where do we stand today as opposed to where we stood perhaps in this case before the pandemic. We also, um, as I said, we met, do this measurement here in the state of New York. We break that up by whether we're talking about say the New York City area or the upstate area. We take a look at uh, men versus women. We take a look at people by virtue of their income. Uh, and we also take a look at whether Democrats and Republicans feel differently because there is um, certainly a political dimension to how people feel about the economy. So, I mean, at present, uh, we do this uh, measurement here in New York each and every quarter. Uh, the overall index for New York State is sitting just below that magic 75 number at 72. So there is slightly more pessimism overall than there is optimism. However, and it's a pretty big however, um, you know, that number is heavily influenced by our good friends in the New York City area. Um, so when we just slice it and say, hey, let's just take a look at upstate, uh, the upstate numbers are not as impressive. Uh, so the overall index for upstate is a little bit over 65, uh, about 11 points under the, uh, the New York City index. Um, so there is certainly um, lingering pessimism, lingering concern about inflation, the cost of food, the cost of gasoline uh, amongst um, upstaters far more than uh, folks in New York City. Interestingly, when you compare uh, New York State and or upstate New York to the national, we see an interesting trend. For many, many years, uh, the New York uh, index would uh, reside slightly lower than the national rate. Um, at present, we are meaningfully higher uh, as a state than the national number. And in fact, even that upstate number that I just described to you that shows a little bit more pessimism than optimism is a stronger number than the national number. Where's the difference? The difference is that upstaters feel, although below that magic number, they are more optimistic than the nation when we look to the future. So New Yorkers, uh, even those of us upstate um, record greater optimism going forward than does the nation as a whole. The nation, the national number of city is sitting right now at, at 59 and change, just below 60, whether that be the overall, the current, and or the future. So the nation as a whole is, uh, is demonstrating real concern economically, um, this sense that um, times are tough now, we've got inflation now, uh, uh, many uh, these numbers display on the part of consumers that they're they're seeing a uh, recession moving forward. So there's a concern that we're going to move out of a period of increasing prices uh, to one in which all of a sudden uh, there could be slowdowns, there could be layoffs. Um, you know, we could move from an economy in which um, we heard so much about employers struggling to build jobs to one in which there may not be as many jobs. Um, we've seen some layoffs recently. Um, so that's, I think, reflected 
very dramatically in the national number, a little bit less so here in New York State and upstate. What is, historically speaking, since uh, Sienna's been working on this, um, what is sort of like the high and low watermark of consumer uh, sentiment in New York State? Well, I, th- I think the easiest thing to get a hold of um, is, I'll give you two things. The, the high watermark, we have seen consumer sentiment scores in the 90s, uh, close to 100. So dramatically above the break-even point. Um, if you remember the, the great economic collapse of 08, um, we saw numbers that touched into the high 40s. Um, so so that's, that's the overall range. Um, just before the pandemic hit us, um, we felt pretty good. Um, it's a little bit tough for all of us to remember. It's been such a very, very long, uh, you know, now almost three years, um, but uh, we're down about 20 points from uh, where we were pre-pandemic. So pre-pandemic, um, we had an overall index of consumer sentiment uh, at over 90. Um, we were in an economic period where uh, consumers felt um, optimistic. Uh, their intent to buy was, uh, was strong. Uh, their outlook for the future was optimistic. Um, we fell sort of off a cliff when the pandemic started and um, we did recover a bit uh, about a year ago, um, but now with uh, inflationary activity, that has really um, uh, caused tremendous concern. Now, it's uh, you know two things that kind of operate in, in opposite directions. I mentioned to you that we track gas and food prices. You know, one that's really disturbing is we've been running for almost a year now with close to 80% of us uh, saying that food prices are having a a somewhat or very serious impact uh, on our family budget. Uh, And that's not news, I think, to to anybody. Uh, Everyone knows that, uh, you know, we walk into the grocery store and we just can't believe, you know, what an individual item costs or when you get to the checkout and you go, I used to check out for X and now I'm checking out for, you know, one and a half, one and a half or two times X. Um, So 80% of us, and, and that's a number that again, Pre-pandemic, that number was uh, under 50% of us said that food was having a serious impact. The other one is gasoline. We're down this quarter a little bit. Um, We're down to uh, two-thirds of us say that the price of gas is causing a uh, somewhat or very serious impact on our budget. Uh, That was up over 70%, you know, as gas prices now have fallen a bit. Uh, that's taking a somewhat less um, serious impact on us, but still two thirds of us. And if you consider that uh, many of our good friends in New York City, of course, don't buy gasoline uh, on a daily basis. So if you look simply at um, uh, at upstate um, relative to gasoline, uh, that number is closer to 70 percent who continue to say it's having an impact. Now, all that said, the other thing that we do in the survey is we say, I'm going to name a, a series of major consumer goods. I'd like you to tell me whether you intend to purchase them over the next um, six months, because that's an indicator of despite, um, you know, I could be nervous. I could be concerned about prices, um, but do I have a little bit of money, you know, left over that I'm going to, you know, engage in that, that home improvement? Or am I going to buy a vehicle? Am I going to buy furniture? Am I going to buy new electronics, you know, a TV, computer, um, or a new home, perhaps. And 
those numbers continue to be uh, strong. So there continues to be a demand. In fact, you know, while four out of the five went down slightly over this last quarter, the one number that is up and it's back to a number that was equal to pre-pandemic is the intent to purchase cars and trucks. Uh, one quarter of us say that I intend to buy a, uh, a vehicle over the next six months. Um, you know, that doesn't say that everybody's going to make that purchase. Um, you know, if they get to the car dealer or they, they, they hunt down a, a used vehicle and it's more than they want to spend, uh, they may not follow through. But we have seen uh, that number uh, as low as 8, 9, 10% at different periods of time. So there is still a, um, uh, some, some cash that people have available to them uh, that they say they intend to make these uh, large purchases, despite the fact that there is more pessimism than optimism. Are there any other strands of that? And I, I realize it feels like it was literally a lifetime ago. Are there any strands of that pre-pandemic economy still intact other than, you know, the, the vehicle I guess the vehicle purchase confidence kind of starting to come back or, or equaling what it was before? Well, I think, you know, one thing that continues is that some folks um, hunkered down during the, uh, the pandemic, uh, put, some, uh, put some money away. Uh, and so there are still many people who have, have some savings. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they could right now be worried about uh, inflation. They could be worried about economic security, but that doesn't mean that they don't have some money nested away. Uh, so that was, that's one um, lingering effect uh, of the pandemic, you know, whether it was just uh, curtailing spending uh, and or, uh, uh, you know, in, in a variety of different ways, of course. Um, but there is some residual cash on hand. And I think that's what gets expressed in this willingness to buy a piece of furniture or perhaps to you know, add a deck onto your home. Um, that's what we're seeing that consumers continue to, um, uh, to say that they have money to do that. Um, you know, we haven't yet seen the continuing impact of if indeed um, prices are up, despite the fact that people have money on hand, is there going to be some frustration on the part of consumers that they just won't follow through? Uh, we don't measure uh, travel, but we all know that you know travel is is someplace where we've seen this this now incredible frustration. Um, you know the 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 turmoil within the uh, airport industry aside, uh, prices had gone up, um, but yet there was this enormous demand that people had uh, to get on a plane to go see friends and family to take a vacation. Um, but you know the reports that we're getting, of course, is that um, whether it be airplane costs, whether it be hotels, um, whether it be um, you know all the various um, uh, amusements that people you know go to see, all those prices are up, and so that's going to you know cut some consumers out of that marketplace. So it, it sounds like you're describing a bit of um, sometimes lag between what uh, folks are worried about. And when the rubber starts to meet the road in terms of when spending gets cut and that sort of thing, um, is that what you guys are watching, say, over the next two to three months to kind of see how that plays out and what the rest of 2023 looks like? We are. We are. You know, we're, we're also taking a look at another survey that we do that, you know, invite you to take a look at is 
Um, you know, in fact, we're in the field with it right now as we interview CEOs of upstate um, companies and we ask them about their economic confidence. You know, what predictions do they have for the year ahead in terms of their revenue, profitability, uh, their intent to hire, uh, what obstacles they see. Um, and, and without scooping that, that survey, I will tell you that the preliminary numbers are uh, a bit um, disquieting. Um, so um, it, it does feel as though the consumer right now has some cash on hand, um, is concerned about prices, uh, still has a willingness to spend, but that may get frustrated if indeed um, we enter into a, um, a, a more pronounced recessionary period. And, that, and that's the concern both of uh, consumers and um, corporate leaders. As I said, the future number is considerably lower uh, amongst the, um, the national sample than it is here in, uh, in New York. Um, you know, our New York number is right at, uh, you know, an overall number of um, uh, 70. Um, so uh, that's the upstate number. So there is a uh, continuing hope uh, on the part of consumers that, that we're going to come through this thing. Um, but they're, uh, you know, three months from today when we have this conversation again and, and we've done a, another measurement, we'll get a better idea of, of how the, uh, the first quarter has treated consumers and whether any of that um, tepid optimism has been dashed. And my last question for you here, um, if there is an industry to watch um, that tends to reflect best the, the overall economic picture, uh, which is it and what are you specifically watching or most interested in seeing uh, how it develops over the next, uh, say, nine to 12 months? Well, we, we watch a number of industries here in, in upstate. Um, you know, we have so many businesses, of course, that are service businesses and, and they're, you know, of course, all over the board. You know, it's, it's somewhat idiosyncratic, you know, how, um, you know, various service businesses fare. Uh, but we're taking a, a close look at uh, manufacturing here uh, in upstate. You know, we have seen, um, you know, uh, we have a variety of different um, uh, forms of manufacturing. We've got some new um, chip-oriented and ancillary businesses associated with technology. Um, and, um, you know, those had been driving some optimism over the past um, five years. Um, the robotics business, for example, in, in the Rochester area, uh, optics. Um, but, uh, you know, if we see a slowdown there uh, in an industry that we had great hope for, and in fact, many uh, CEOs, many consumers felt that um, in addition to, to medical, you know, which is a, you know, really almost a, um, I, I don't want to call it a service business, but, you know, we all, we all need medical. Uh, you know, but, but we're looking for manufacturing, especially in the uh, technological fields, to provide new um, high-paying jobs across upstate that would be a benefit to our economy. If we see a slowdown there, um, then we're going to have, uh, have concerns. All right, Dr. Levy, appreciate the time today. Thanks for taking it. Absolutely. Anytime. Have a good day. All right. On the other side of this break, we're going to hear from Jim Senecropi on his visit to Nick's Chop House over the weekend. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be right back.
This is Rebecca Swift for Dr. Jeffrey Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry. Dr. Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. If you're looking for a dentist who offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff, Canandaigua Dentistry will go the extra smile for you. Committed to local veteran organizations as well as seniors in the Finger Lakes, Canandaigua Dentistry offers discounts for both as well as an in-house dental membership program for those without insurance. The office is located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or you can give them a call at 585-394-5230. Visit CanandaiguaDentistry.com to learn more about the team and follow on Facebook and Instagram today. As the months turn colder, make sure you're able to be comfortable. Don't get left out in the cold this winter. Choose DeSanto Propane. Over 8 million households already heat with propane because a propane furnace can heat air up to 25 degrees warmer than electricity. Propane radiant heat can improve air quality in a home by cutting down on dust and allergens and more. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years, DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com for more info. D-I-S-A-N-T-O Propane.com or call toll-free at 1-800-752-4574 today. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Mass and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisrigney.com. All right, welcome back to Finger Lakes. Today we are joined in studio here by Jim Sinecropi, who was at Nick's Chop House over the weekend. Uh, how was it? Uh, what was your, your feeling on it? Nick's Chop House out in Canandaigua? Yeah, cool place. Um, it's off of Main Street on Beeman Street, a little alleyway. Used to be Rio Tomatlin a while ago. Um, I'd been to Rio Tomatlin in that location a couple times, but I have never been to Nick's. I know a couple of the, our co-workers here, Felicia and Sydney, have been to Nick's before, and they liked it. And they've also been up top where they have the sky deck on the roof. Yeah. Um, only in the summer, Sky Deck wasn't open on Saturday night when we went. We went with a group of six, and um, and yeah, and it's fun. I think that people uh, who come to Finger Lakes one want to see things about local restaurants. They want if it's a place they've never been. It's a, they want to see if they should consider it. If uh, it's a place they have been, they want to know if my opinion probably matches theirs. And so I think you know food reviews or, or restaurant features or something that everybody really can get into, you know? 
And to that end, uh, your review system, you have a bit of a review system developing here. Um, talk to us a little bit about what goes into uh, the ratings that you give uh, restaurants at the end of the videos that we wind up showing here on Finger Lakes today. Yeah, and it's kind of tough uh, to assign ratings, and I kind of almost didn't want to uh, do it, uh, but, you know, that that's another thing I think people like, you know. So um, running restaurants... Are, are difficult it's a tough business so i i last thing i would ever want to do is give a place a bad review um so you probably won't see any like really negative bad reviews uh because if it's that bad i probably won't feature it uh so but you know it's a one to ten rating system and so anything five or above is a place that i'd gladly go back to is the way i'm looking at it uh, because you got to leave some room at the top end. Like, I don't know if I've ever given a place a 10, you know, and I've eaten it in fantastic, incredible restaurants, but you got to leave a little room, you know, for that place that might be a little better. So anything, you know, six and up is good, really good. And, you know, anything seven up is a place that I would go to, you know, once a week if it was like in my neighborhood. So it's, uh, it's kind of arbitrary, but it's um it's it's part of it's supposed to be fun and like i said it's, it, I, the last thing i would ever want to do is give a place a bad rating publicly here on fingerlakes1.com and potentially you know hurt their business because it's a really really tough business all right so we're going to take a look at that video and when we come back we're going to talk a little more about jim's review check it out Saturday night, 7 p.m. reservations for our group of six at Nick's Chop House on Beeman Street in Canadagua. I've eaten here when it used to be Rio Tomatlin, but this is my first time at Nick's. They have a nice bar and booth seating in the main dining room, but we were seated in the front room, which I felt was a little heavy on the blue lighting, but still more private, and they had a steady soundtrack of blues music playing overhead. There's something for everyone on the menu, nice choices for appetizers, salads, and several entree options, especially seafood and steak, but also lamb, pork, duck, chicken, and pastas. They also had multiple preparations of potatoes as sides and a fabulous wine list and cocktail menu. This is a bruschetta, which was super heavy on the balsamic, which I like, but not everyone in our group was a fan, and the tuna tartare was fresh and delicious. I should note that our waitress Danielle and their legendary busboy Jack seen here were great. They were friendly, attentive, and entertaining. Here's the Caesar salad, and here's one of the biggest wedge salads I've ever seen, smothered in blue cheese, one of the best things on the menu, even though the blue lighting made the greens look a little unappetizing. Here's the seafood bisque, which was excellent. And for entrees, a tasty grilled salmon with Thai slaw and sweet Polynesian sauce. One of the specials was this order of beef tips with blue cheese and garlic smashed potatoes and the blackened ahi tuna which was perfectly cooked thick filet but was paired with a super spicy wasabi sauce that kind of caught you off guard and was borderline hard to eat. The spinach that came on the side was also dry and bland and just not great. Another special, it was a quartered chicken with a savory mushroom sauce. This was excellent. Here's a look at the twice baked potato. And here's my entree, a 14 ounce hand rubbed ribeye, which was just fantastic and cooked at a perfect medium rare. After the blue cheese and a balsamic reduction sauce on the side, and this was a really nice steak. We were disappointed that they'd run out of multiple menu options, including the cowboy cut ribeye, prime rib, and the white corn calamari. But desserts were great, coffee was robust, and look at the size of this cheesecake. Overall, all right, Jim, that uh, looked very, very good. Looked a little blue. Uh, in there um well what was that rating what was the final score on that one seven out of ten 
um, not something that really affected the review, but uh, it was a it you know that type of atmosphere would have been a great place to hang out and just have a few drinks. But I didn't love having dinner in that lighting because it's tough to see the food. So the lettuce looked a little off in that lighting, even though it was delicious in that wedge salad. Um, it's one of the better wedge salads I've had, and uh, but you know you can't appreciate it in that light. So and the whole restaurant isn't like that. The front room is like that. The middle room is really well lit. There's booths, and then you have a bar room as well that has a little bit of that blue lighting, but a little less intense. But that front room is was <laughs> really blue. And I'm going to ask this: uh, when you go to a restaurant like this, um, sometimes portion sizes look larger than other times. This one, at least judging by the shots that you took, it looked like portion sizes were pretty fair. Nobody left hungry. They were they were they were big. And I um, I mentioned too in the review that so we, we find out we're going there. I go online look at the menu. I didn't eat anything all day, and I'm like I'm going to get the cowboy cut tonight. <laughs> you know I, I can't I don't eat steak a lot, and so I was going to go big. Um, and then I'm and then I was also debating on maybe the prime rib. And then uh, looking at the appetizers, they had a white corn calamari. I figured I'd get that. So when we got there Saturday night at seven o'clock, which around here that's kind of late. Um, and it was the end of their weekend. They had run out of the cowboy cut, the prime rib, and the oh. white corn calamari. But uh, there was still plenty of other options. They have a huge menu, uh, so I went with just the regular fourteen ounce ribeye, and it was it was good enough. <laughs> I, w I would have ate the cowboy cut, which I think was twenty ounces, but um, I didn't need those extra six <laughs> ounces. So um, my question here is, and you you just mentioned it. Um, do you always look at the menu before you go to a place like this or any place for that matter? Or do, do you sometimes roll the dice and let yourself be surprised when you sit down? Um, it's probably 50-50. I just happen to have time. A lot of times we'll be driving there and um, my wife Kathleen will pull it up on her phone, you know, as we're driving there. But this particular time I did look at it because I kind of did want to see what the options were and kind of pre-plan what I was going to get. Um, they have a great wine list there too, like really good a lot of great selections by the glass and a lot of uh, bottles, even high-end bottles like Camus and Stag's Leap. Um, you know, we ended up getting a bottle somewhere in the middle. We didn't get the, you know, $150 bottle. Um, and uh, and it was really enjoyable. And I really got to point out that one of the best things about it was this, the staff. Our waitress, was her name was Danielle. She was funny and um, attentive and pleasant and made our dinner great uh and they have a bus boy there named jack normally wouldn't message the bus boy but this guy was next level bus boy he was like he was great so shout out to jack um it was a a great time at nick's chop, chop house for sure and all the entrees were good the ahi tuna as i mentioned in the review had a wasabi sauce that was like really overpoweringly spicy and um, and that's what my wife got, and it was too much, so she had to separate the the wasabi sauce from her tuna, which was well cooked, um, because it was a little too hot to eat. And so, in a situation like that, the menu didn't say hot, spicy ahi tuna; it just said ahi tuna, and then in the description, it mentioned wasabi sauce. Right. Um, so. But, you know, like I said, I'm really being picky here. Nick's Shop House was great, and a 7 out of 10 is, like I said, a place I would go back to, you know, once a week if it was in my neighborhood. All right, and uh, any idea what is coming up on the F01 Food uh, TikTok? Uh, what's the next stop or what's the next recipe on tap? 
Well, Sunday night I made kakioi pepe. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's the simplest of all pastas, maybe the most underrated of all pastas. Basically some pecorino romano cheese, some black pepper, butter, and pasta, and that's it. Um, and then I fried up some zucchini to go with it, made dinner on Sunday night for about, it took me about 20 minutes to start to finish, and it came out really, really good. I never made it before, um, and it came out really good. So that'll be coming up uh, either end of this week or next week. And um, don't have any uh, restaurant plans on, on the menu, but uh, another thing about the reviews I should mention is, like, if I went back to Nick's Chop House, like, next month or something, I would do another review, and that night it might be a different rating a different so score. it's not like an overall it, it, the rating is for like that experience that night it's not one and done not one and done you can always redeem yourself or you know fall from Go grace i way. guess <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks a lot uh for that that is going to do it for this edition of finger lakes today join us back here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m as we get you ready for the day until then uh, remember fingerlakes1.com app is your one-stop shop for local news weather sports and podcasts have a great tuesday finger lakes we'll see you tomorrow